not being close to the Arctic, it's not a problem because the problem is global and we have to act locally. But I think that people underestimate the power of politics and especially young people. Welcome to the Common Ground podcast, where we bring together under our podcast roof change makers from both the social and environmental spaces, people who've made extraordinary achievements in the areas they're passionate about. Each episode, we bring you insight from a new activist as we talk to them about their stories and the causes that spurred them to take action. I'm thrilled to be bringing you season two in collaboration with Arctic Angels, a global youth-led network fighting for the protection of the global commons and in particular raising awareness of the polar ice crisis. Joining me this week is the Arctic Angel Freya Katana Asdalen from Norway. Freya is a human geography student. She's also a member of the central board of Nature for Youth, one of the biggest environmental organisations for youth in Norway. Most recently, Freya was involved in the People vs. Arctic Oil lawsuit, where they took the Norwegian government to court to protest their decision to open up new oil frontiers in a particularly sensitive area north of Norway called the Barents Sea. And the Barents Sea is of particular importance because it's a relatively warm ocean current, and when that hits the Arctic, it creates this really niche ecosystem with a really high level of biodiversity and it's one of the most rapidly changing arctic regions in terms of sea ice. They think that there's been a reduction of about 50% of its March sea ice area between 1979 and 2018 and, and it's clearly linked to the climate crisis and so this is a really important area of the world and it was really interesting to talk to Freya about all that's happening there. So I really, really hope that you enjoyed this episode. Freya, welcome to the Common Ground podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I was so happy to have you. So maybe we could start with just a little bit of a, an overview and you could explain to us who you are, where you are in the world and um, what you do. So my name is Freya Katana Åstam and I currently live in Norway in Oslo. Although at the moment I'm at home in Lillehammer, uh, I'm staying at my parents' house since everything in Oslo is shut down due to uh, the pandemic. And uh, I'm currently studying a bachelor in human geography at the University of Oslo. And then I'm also working in a youth organization called Nature and Youth here in Norway. Maybe you could take us back and paint the scene when and where it was you started getting involved in environmental work and activism. I think it was when I moved to Norway. Uh, I used to live in Copenhagen in Denmark. And then when I was 15, I moved. And actually, I don't really remember what it was that made me uh, get into it or who it was. But I just remember that suddenly I was part of this big network um, because we have this organization, the one that I'm still working in, called Nature and Youth. And there was this um, local activities uh, in Lillehammer. And I just started to go to this and then suddenly I was part of this big network and well, you can say that I climbed up the hierarchy and now I'm in the uh, central board of the uh, organization. I'm so excited to talk to you about this because it is a huge organization with a huge membership across Norway. I think you have something like 9,000 youth members, which is just incredible. So I want to ask you about that group in a little bit more detail 
so just taking us back you're a you're a human geography student you're involved in in nature for youth well you're more than just involved you're, you're a key player in in nature <laughs> for youth what were your first steps into environmental activism what were the first things that you sort of started to do yeah i think that it was um, a local demonstration actually that was the very first thing i took part in so at first it was this meeting where we were painting banners and I was getting to know people and had a good time. Uh, although I didn't really feel included, I remember that in the start I felt kind of awkward there, but I just kept going because I guess I was very motivated and uh, yeah, it was nice to be there and feel like I did make a difference. Yeah, and then we obviously walked down the street in this little city uh, with the banners and I remember feeling kind of embarrassed because I saw some people who knew me from school and then I was walking down the street and shouting and we were just a little crowd of people. <laughs> yeah. So in the start, I felt like, you know, I was always embarrassed to be part of this organization. And I feel like it has also changed because in the start, it was kind of um, not really a lot of people, at least in my age, were uh, taking part in this and being politically active, but then I don't know if it's just the age difference because now I'm 20 and I feel like it's very useful usual for people to care and to take part and uh, yeah but then I just kept going to these activities and I think part of what makes the organization is so great is that there are uh, events on a local level and on a national level and there's a lot of great things to go to and a lot of ways to learn things and to uh, feel like you make a difference and influence the Norwegian politics. And so tell us a little bit about Nature and Youth, because it's been going for quite a while, as I understand. It started in the, was it the 60s? Yeah, I believe so. It's not very long since we uh, had our 50 year anniversary. So that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So you, mm -hmm. so you joined as a sort of youth member. And as you say, you've kind of risen through the ranks. Yeah, it is. Uh, when you're over 25, you're not allowed to be there anymore. Then you're kicked out. So it's kind of brutal. you know. <laughs> but, uh, that's the way it is. <laughs> It's a kind of complicated structure. I'll try to explain it in a simple way. But we're organized so that we have a central office in Oslo. Uh, I think we're about maybe 30, 20, 30 people working there with different things. Um, and then we try to um, have activity all over the country. So we have, I think it's about 60. I'm not sure about the number, but something like that. Uh, different, you could call it teams um, around the country with um, youths who are active and try to push their local governments and politicians and then we also work on a national level so that we try to influence you know uh, lawmaking or policy making um, and companies and stuff like that. So what are your mm. particular roles within the organization and in, in that central central structure? Yeah so we are 15 people working on what is at least directly translated the central board um, and we're working voluntarily. Uh, we also have some people who are um, hired and get a paycheck and stuff like that. But we're, I think that part of the reason for that is that we have to work um, or we have to be very motivated. And that's why we don't get any salary kind of. Um, so we have a county each. I have a county up in the northern, northern part of Norway called Norland. Um, and then I also am in a group working with oil. So we have just worked with the climate lawsuit, which you may might have heard of. Um, and then I'm also in some other stuff like uh, we have a magazine. So I'm in uh, making that an editor or at least an ed editorial group. 
uh, yeah, that's what I'm working with currently. Wow, that's a lot. How do you balance all of that with your with your studies? Oh, <laughs> uh, I would like to say that I'm good at keeping a good balance, but I don't know. You know, I'm working from eight in the morning until maybe nine in the afternoon on almost every weekday. Wow. Um, so it is hard to prioritize because you have to prioritize the studies and you have to uh, make it work with everything else and meetings and stuff and then also you know try to see friends and work out and it's a lot but uh, it's hard it's hard they're not enough hours in the day (laughs) you mentioned there that your work focuses around oil and uh, particularly in that northern region of Norway um, Arctic Angels is a global network, but I know that your work is interesting because it does focus on specifically the Arctic and is it the Barents Sea? Yeah, it is. Yep. What's, um, what's happening there and why is the Barents Sea so important to the, the story of what's happening in the Arctic? Yeah, um, so the Barents Sea and the Arctic, you know, there is as there is everywhere really there is a lot of um, nature that we need to protect and we know that drilling for oil is really it's very ruining to um, the nature and we have seen it in Norway but still we keep drilling for oil unfortunately we keep um, prioritizing that over well a lot of other things that we believe that should be prioritized and yeah, so Arctic Angels, as you know, they really work a lot with uh, this moratorium that they won't want in the uh, Arctic. And it kind of fits well together with what we're working at, because as you, as I talked about previously, um, we had this lawsuit where we sh- sued the state in 2016 for giving out licenses to drill for oil in the Barents Sea. And in the Norwegian um, law, it says that the state should try to secure the current and the coming generations and their livelihood. And we believe that they don't do that when they drill for oil, uh, especially in this very, very vulnerable um, area in the, yeah, up north. The case that you're talking about, the people versus Arctic oil case, is a, a really complex case. But maybe you could tell us a little bit about why the case came about your role and uh, and any outcomes so far? Yeah, um, so my role in the case, it was a little bit different from time to time because when it first started in 2016, um, I was still, well, you could say an ordinary member. Um, so I participated in demonstrations and tried to um, make publicity for the case. And then if we fast forward to this year or maybe uh, in 2020, then I was in the central board of Nature and Youth, um, and I got to work quite closely with the case. So I was in some meetings with all the other organizations where we were planning, and um, I got to um, be responsible for the international um, publicity. And uh, I was also working with social media in, uh, yeah, in relation to the court case. Um, and <laughs> well, the outcome was quite sad, unfortunately. Um, because we had the case up in three rounds um, on three different um, levels. And the first two times we won on some parts of our um, court case, but in the last round in the highest court in Norway, we lost on every single point. Um, And not every judge judge was against us. Some of them voted um, for our case, but unfortunately, most of them didn't. Uh, And so we were very disappointed and there were a lot of... um, yeah, well, 
Uh, yeah, we were very disappointed and it was quite hard to see if there were any um, anything good really that came out of the case. Uh, we didn't expect to lose at every single point, but we did. Um, but when we have talked to some lawyers afterwards, we have heard that there have been some small improvements or some small wins um, and they're, they're very technical and very uh, well, I think you have to go to law school really to understand them, so I won't get into them. But I think that at least, um, well, you can think, say that all big um, fights, um, yeah, they, they start with some losses, right? So the first people who said that slavery were, were wrong, they, you know, they wouldn't win any cases. But today, we, of course, we think that slavery is wrong. And I think it's kind of the same with, uh, with this, that right now, you know, the court hasn't really uh, been updated or what you could say that I think it will change in the future. As you say, you know, you're paving the way. This is something new and holding the, the government to account. As you say, that will trickle down and hopefully in years to come, people will be looking at this court case as a, a pioneering exercise that will shape things into the future. And I also think that um, this court, because the court, what they really said was that we cannot say that it is wrong, that the state is uh, giving these licenses to drilling for oil. But by doing that, they give all the responsibility to the politicians. And that means that the politicians, they can't really just say that, you know, they can't uh, say that they don't have any responsibility. Now it is really their responsibility. And the court has said that it is. Maybe that's also something positive. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's an incredible achievement and, you know, a huge congratulations to, to all of you for pulling it together. I really am in admiration. And I think it's really about holding people to account. And I think, think there's a lot that we, that we can take from this. Things like this can't be allowed considering the level of climate crisis that, that, that the world is facing. I agree. I also wanted to ask you a little bit about how the climate crisis is manifesting itself in Norway and whether it's something that you're kind of able to feel and see and experience? Um, I think it's, well, we don't see it as much as many other places, I believe, but I do see it in some ways. For example, the winters here, they are very warm and very unstable. So um, I live at a place that's known for being like uh, a paradise for skiing. <laughs> it's very <laughs> famous for that. Um, but currently, you know, every year there's, it, the weather goes up and down. So instead of there just being a lot of snow all the winter, which there was before, now it's, you know, it melts and there's a lot of ice and then suddenly it snows and then it melts again. Um, so I think that's the way we're noticing it right now. And we're quite lucky in that way. But at the same time, time I think it's very unfortunate that we don't feel the consequences because Norway is one of the biggest polluters, at least if you look at all the oil that we export. And I think that a lot of Norwegians don't really understand uh, how serious it is and that we are all going to be affected in the future. Yeah, it's such an interesting point, isn't it? Because if you can't feel or see the effects of it, that's a really difficult thing to try and get across to the public that, you know, that that's happening. We not might be able to feel it, but it's definitely mm. happening in other countries. I, I also wanted to talk about, so you mentioned that the court case involved lots of different parties. One of those that I read was the Grandparents Climate Campaign, which sounds like a wonderful organisation. Arctic Angels it is a, an intergenerational network, um, although it is youth-led, like yourselves, in, in Nature for Youth. So I wanted to ask, 
what your thoughts yeah. were on why intergenerational action is is so important for the protection of our planet yeah i think it's really important because i feel like a lot of young people are taking on way too much of the responsibility at least here in norway it's you know people are talking about the uh, striking generation and i think that a lot of kids are walking around and being really worried and they're looking at their parents who don't really do anything um and i think that's it would be, give a lot of hope to young people if adults just took some responsibility and if we cooperated more. And yeah, of course, you know, uh, the UN, they say that in 10 years, the uh, climate change will, will be irre irreversible. Yeah. And um, in that time, you know, a lot of the people who are out and striking right now, they will just may, might be in a job. And, you know at that point it's too late to do anything so i think that people who have a chance to do anything in their job or writing a paper or you know anything that they really should do because it's now that we have the time to do it and in 10 years it's too late so we all have to do something absolutely and what was it like working with the with the grandparents climate campaign what were they like as a group well <laughs> they to be honest, I haven't really worked a lot with them myself, okay. so I can't say a lot about it, but I think that it's great that they are supporting us and, um, yeah, you know, taking part. And I've met them sometimes on the street where they are standing and having stands and talking to people about climate change. And I think it's very nice also that they show other people maybe that it's not just the youth that should be engaged, that we all should be. I completely agree with that. So obviously you've got the court case that's going on in the ground, but I wonder what the future holds for you and hopefully this pandemic will be will be over soon. But when it is over, what are you looking forward to doing and, and what projects have you got in the pipeline? Yeah, well, to be honest, I haven't thought a lot about it because I feel like we're just stuck in this. Um, but I'm really looking forward to seeing my family in Denmark again because, you know, the borders have been shut and I haven't seen some of my siblings and my dad and stepmom for it's yeah almost a year now oh gosh um so that's something i'm really looking forward to also being able to travel and see all the people in the organization because it is really something else to um have a or work in an organization where you can't travel and meet people that's a big part of it we have a plan until the summer but that's you know we just plan half a year each time um, but currently we're looking forward to a summer camp for all of our members um, in the north part of Norway on an island called Tirana. And I really hope that we'll be able to do that because it's such a beautiful place. And I think that, you know, it will be really good for uh, the members of the organization to be able to meet again and uh, yeah, have fun activities and stuff like that. And have fun. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So just to finish off, I wondered if we could, if you could give us one piece of advice that to someone looking to take action to protect the poles, what could we do? Well, I think that, you know, not being close to the Arctic, it's not a problem because the problem is global and we have to act locally. Um, and I think that's one thing that I'm seeing, at least when I'm being on social media and what I guess that a lot of people are seeing if they are trying to look at what they can do, is that, you know, a lot of people are talking about that they should bring their own uh, reusable bags to the grocery store and stuff like that. And that's great. But I think that people underestimate the power of politics and especially young people. I know a lot of people who care about the planet and, you know, 
what they end up doing for the planet is thrifting or buying a reusable straw. <laughs> and uh, they kind of don't really, I think that a lot of people don't know how they should act if they want to be politically active and push their politicians, but it's really important to do so. And obviously it's different in different parts of the world, how uh, if you're even able to do it, for example, in Russia, you know, uh, it's actually quite dangerous to do so. Uh, while here in Norway, we're really lucky and you know, there's no co consequences for me going onto the street and demonstrating. But I think if you're able to, then it's really great to try to work with politics. And then also another thing is to um, take care of yourself. I feel like a lot of people who are active in um, you know, trying to take care of the planet and make some big changes that they forget to care for themselves. And I feel like I'm not really the one who should be saying this because as I just said, you know, work from eight in the morning to nine in the afternoon on typical day. <laughs> but still it's really important to <laughs> prioritize your health and your well-being. Um, and to remember that that's also productive because you can't really help anyone else or help the planet if you're burned out. Um, and obviously it's also that's more fun to exist if you, you're <laughs> doing good. So... <laughs> Yeah, to remember to work on that. That's also very important. I think there's such lovely words to end on. Thank you so much for your time. It's been such a such a yeah. pleasure to to hear from you and to hear your story and all the incredible things that you've you've achieved so far. Thank you, and thank you so much for letting me be here. A huge thanks to Freya for being my guest and for imparting such interesting wisdom and really reminding us that self-care is important and self-care is a radical act so i really really hope that you take the time to practice self-care in whatever form that might be and to think about all that freya has has taught us so thank you freya for joining us especially because freya was so patient with me when we had major technical issues during our recording so freya big big thanks to you I'll make sure to drop Freya's Instagram handle in the show notes as well as the Instagram handle for Youth for Nature. Please do take a look at their work because they really are doing an incredible job. As ever, I'm at Common Ground Co on Instagram and you can follow the work of Arctic Angels at GC Arctic Angels. See you next time.